You can go ahead and open up your bulletin. There's some sermon notes in there if you would like to follow along with me. And we're going to begin here. We're going to have a two-week series called When Love Speaks, The Last Words uh, from Christ on the Cross. And uh, we're going to just take a a couple of weeks on that. And then we're going to be, can you believe we're only a couple of weeks away from uh, Easter? And uh, is time going by fast? Gosh, man, we're, we're, we're in April already, and it's just blazing by. Uh, I want you to uh, write this word down. It's there in your notes, but substitute. Now, when you hear the word substitute, what do you think of? What, what, what comes to your mind? Some of you are here uh, that are dieters. Uh, you, you, you think of, uh, well, I have a diet drink, and I have a substitute in there for uh, for sugar, and by the way, that substitute that you're drinking is really not that good for you, by the way. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, it's probably even worse than sugar, but uh, anyways, what, what comes to your mind? I, I think of the word substitute, and I think of the word teacher. I think of the word school teacher, <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and I think of the substitute teachers that I barraged uh, when I was in junior high and in high school, and uh, the substitute teacher, they're the Rodney Dangerfields uh, of the educational system, <laughs> and if you've ever been one, you know what I'm talking about, especially if you've ever been a high school uh, substitute teacher, I mean... Uh, I remember back in the, I mean, spit wads were, were shot at them when they weren't looking. Uh, I mean, talking all the time. I mean, really no respect. I mean, pranks, no one paying attention. Even the other teachers uh, were looking at you and like, <laughs> yeah, substitute teacher. But today, we're going to look at the substitute. And uh, who not only earned the ultimate respect but this was the, the substitute who has changed literally billions of lives, millions of lives. And so we're going to take the next two weeks and we're going to look at the last words of Jesus when he was on the cross. Uh, Jesus said, made seven statements uh, while he was on the cross. And we're going to take a look at two of those uh, this week and next week, and these these statements, every single one of them. In fact, I want to encourage you uh, in your own time as you read your Bible. In fact, go to the Gospels and take a look at these the, the, these statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross, and you'll see that it's love that was speaking, and all of those statements that Jesus made are loaded with meaning. We know this that Jesus hung on the cross for about six hours, maybe a little bit over six hours. Uh, He was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning, and by about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it said his spirit had expired. Here he was nailed to the cross, and he had made seven different statements. First one, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That was the word of forgiveness. To the thief that was next to him on the cross who said, remember me, Jesus. And Jesus says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. That was the word of assurance. And then to his mother, Mary, 
And to, believe it or not, he had a best friend who was his disciple, John, who write, wrote the Gospel of John. He said, dear woman, here is your son. And then to John, he says, here is your mother. Interesting statement. It was the word of care. And all of these statements that I just read to you came within the first of the hours. But we're going to look at this fourth one here this morning. It's the word of substitution, the loving word of substitution. Here's what's happening. It's noontime. And uh, right here at about 12 o'clock, it said that darkness came over the land. It really got dark out. And uh, we know from experience here, especially down in the south, that, that at noontime, it's probably the brightest time in the daytime. But God chose noontime, okay, to make it dark time. And darkness in his final three hours while he is suffering. And Jesus makes this statement that we're going to look at here today, where love speaks. It's the fourth one. And it says, at noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sakabatidai, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now I want you to notice right here that Jesus, it says, he cries out in a loud voice. Now this Greek word for cry literally means to shout. So the decibel levels, the the voice inflection that was coming out of Jesus, he is screaming right here at this moment. This is the most agonizing word that Jesus is going to speak here at the cross. And this is the fourth word. It's the word of substitution. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken or, or abandoned literally means to be deserted to be rejected, okay, to be let go. Jesus is facing ultimate rejection. Now, at the top of the emotional pain scale, and we've all experienced emotional pain here in this room, but probably right there at the top, it's really close to being right there at the top of emotional pain are those who have gone through rejection, those who have been abandoned. It's a, I would call it a nine or a ten, and it's really hard to get rid of that pain. Some of you who are here, uh, really know what I'm talking about. Some of you have went through this recently. In fact, there's probably, there's people in this room who have been abandoned by a spouse for someone else. And the feeling of that abandonment has been absolutely deep. Some maybe have been abandoned by a parent or a former girlfriend or boyfriend or a friend. But there is nothing that hurts so hard and for so long as abandonment. And here, Jesus is experiencing it in his final hours. First, it starts off with Judas. And then his disciples that he had spent three years of investing his life, his time, and his energy. And finally, God himself, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? I can see why others have forsaken me, but I didn't see you forsaken me. Make no mistake about it. Jesus felt utter rejection. So the the question we're going to be looking at, what is going on right here? What's going on here when Jesus makes this statement? What happened? You can fill in the blank. Jesus 
became your substitute. Jesus became your substitute. He became my substitute. It was at this moment, Jesus is taking the penalty for your sin, my sin, and for the sin of the whole world. He's taking the place of suffering, the place of punishment for what you did and for what I did. He is dying in your place and He's taking all the sin of the world on Himself. He's feeling the weight of the sin. And we look at the meaning behind this, this statement. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? But I want to take you through a couple scriptures right here that's going to make some sense. One of the greatest scriptures in the Bible, I call this verse the great exchange, is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You can write this right here in your Bible. It says, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Sinless, your sins and my sins were poured into him. Totally sinless. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Now, how many thinks that's, that's pretty awesome? Okay, that's the gospel, folks. That's the good news. It says here in 1 John 2, 2, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours also, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want you to underline that word atonement. What does that word atonement mean? It's a really significant and a very important word that we all need to know. Atonement means payment for damages done. How many here in this room have been uh, involved in a fender bender? Okay, you've been hit. How many people have been? How many have been involved in an accident where it was your fault? Come on, raise them up high. I want to see all the guilty offenders here. Okay, now, all right. Now, you know this. Uh, if you've been in an accident, especially if you've hit someone else, okay, uh, you're responsible, your insurance company is responsible to pay for the damages done, okay? Okay, that's, that's basically atonement. It's the satisfying, basically, of law and justice. That means there must be a payment, retribution, restitution. Write this down. Justice demands atonement, payback. God is saying there, there has to be justice done because of sin. There's been sin that's been done, and justice must be served. And it says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when we look at this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to do two things with this statement. Number one, what does it teach us today? And number two, what should be your response and my response to the atonement of Jesus Christ. What does it teach us? Number one, let's go through it. Number one, we learn that God is holy. God is holy. In Revelations chapter 4, verse 8, it says, here's the angels around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? Write this down. It means that God is 100% pure, perfect, and powerful. Okay? 
When, when the angels were announcing that he was holy, there was no one that was like him. He is in a league of his own. That's what God is. He's holy. He's separate. And because God is pure, because God is perfect and powerful, he cannot stand in the presence of imperfection. God is holy, we know, and we know he hates evil. He does not even want to look at it. In Habakkuk 1.13 it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Here we were singing that song earlier in the service. It was a new song that Pastor Luke introduced to us and, and how God sees us. And, 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 and some of you are wondering, well, how could God see me like this as someone that's good and that's perfect, whatever? God doesn't see you through what you've done. He has seen you through what Christ has done. Christ is what? He is the sinless one. So here we know in heaven there is no sin, there is no wrong, especially in Jesus' life. And on the cross, we see Jesus dying in our place for our sins, for every sin, and for the evil that has been done, that the evil that you and I have even done. And Jesus is taking sin upon himself. And it's, listen, and it was at that moment when Jesus is taking sin on, and he looks to the Father who is holy. And God, the Father who is holy, he looks away from his Son. Here he's seeing his son suffering and Jesus is taking now the sins of the whole world upon him. And then he, that's when he shouts, my God, my God. Notice here, he, why have you forsaken me? Notice Jesus doesn't call him father at this moment. Every other time Jesus calls God father. But at this moment he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even on the cross, he calls God Father. But it was at this moment, God looks away because he's, he's taking up all the sin of the world upon himself. He doesn't say Father, but he says, God, what happened here at this moment? Write this down. The relationship between him and the Father was broken. Whoa. The perfect relationship between him and the Father was broken. Here Jesus, part of the Trinity, where there was perfect harmony, perfect unity with God, had never been separated from God until this moment. And here he is separated because of God's holiness and the sin that he had taken upon himself. And God is in essence saying, I can't be a part of this. This is dirty. This is filthy. This is evil. And he feels forsaken. Why? Because God is holy. So what do we learn? The relationship was broken because of sin. And God is holy and separate from evil. Number two, sin is ugly and deadly. Now many here in society don't think that sin is ugly or deadly. Many think that sin here in our society is cool. You look at the movies you look at the songs that are sung, the books, okay? They all seem to be appealing, they're popular, make it pleasing, make it look like everybody's doing it. You're cool if you go ahead and do this, okay? It's only the fuddy-duddy, the old-fashioned people who keep the rules and the commands of God. But the cool ones, they go for it. They enjoy life, okay? But isn't it interesting, you rarely see the consequences of sin's in movies and in the commercials. 
Look at the beer commercials. Look at all of them. I mean, they're portraying people to have fun. They're enjoying life. Okay, guy is drinking. It doesn't show him with alcohol to his lips. They can't do that. But here they don't tell you what happens afterwards. The guy who drinks too much, who abuses his body because he has too much alcohol in there, and now he is beating his wife and his kids. You will never see that in the beer ad. Or you will never see all the broken hearts left behind by the players in the movies who are going from one girl to another. Won't tell you about the broken hearts that happen from that, go from bed to bed. The STDs, the unwanted pregnancies, the abortions, and the poverty that goes with it. If you really want to see the true consequences of the sin, look at the cross. Look at the cross. The cross is the most hideous, horrible, gruesome place and event that ever took place. So we know that sin is ugly and deadly. And I want to I hit three sub-points from this that I think we just really need to revisit again here this morning. Number one, three things that sin does. We know this for a fact. Sin alienates. Sin alienates us from God. When Jesus took on the sin of the whole world, all of a sudden he feels separated from God. God, where have you gone? What's going on? We know this, that sin strains relationships. It creates conflict. It creates distance. It breaks closeness. Uh, it will be 30 years this January, I mean, this coming August. And, and I know my wife, my wife knows me. She doesn't have to tell me when she's mad or angry with me when I blow it. I can just tell by her body language. What I, I mean, I, I just, I know it just like that. I go, oh man, I, I, I blew it. There was something I said or something that I didn't do that I was supposed to do. And, and, and there's just something about it. And when that happens, there's something emotionally, uh, there's a disconnect, okay? There, the closeness has, has been broken. And, I, and a lot of times the same thing happens not just with people, but also God. Isaiah 59.2 says this, It is your evil, okay, it is your evil that has separated you from your God. Your sins cause Him to turn away from you, so He does not hear you. By the way, some of you are here this morning. This is a question that I think you really need as your pastor. And you don't feel as close to God as you once did. You need to ask the Holy Spirit this question. Lord, is there something in my life, Lord, that I'm not hearing your voice like I used to hear it, Lord? I, God, what, I don't feel as close to you, Lord, as I used to. Lord, what's going on in my life? And then be quiet. And I'm sure that he will reveal yourself to you because there could be a sin issue in your life. Now, here's the other one. Sin, we know, distresses. It causes stress in your life. Sin causes stress in your life. How, how is that possible? Or why, why or how? Okay, I want you to see this statement here on, this, on the screen. I came across, I was reading this in an article and it said this. You and I were never made to live in conflict with your creator. God created us for relationship. And we were never meant to be in a conflict with our creator, with our God. And whenever you and I willingly and knowingly break God's laws, and how many did that this past week? We, I mean, it just didn't just happen, but we willingly 
And we knowingly, we did something. We just were flat out rebellious. We did it anyways. I guarantee there are people in this room. In fact, I still do that. I wish I could say I don't, but I have. In the 35 years as a Christian, I have willingly and knowingly broken God's laws and commands in my life. And make no mistake about it, there's consequences to that. I've felt that. So have you. Okay, what happens? It creates stress in our life. Like what? Worry. Okay, It, it creates fears. It creates doubt. It creates guilt, resentment, and shame, loneliness, insecurity. But if you are, are feeling any of those, I want you to understand these are not your real problems. I would call all of those symptoms. Okay, The real problem that we have is unrecognized or unresolved conflict with God. Okay, When we have unresolved conflict with God, we will have stress in our life. We weren't made for that. So the sin that really that, that's in us, it really begins to manifest in our soul uh, as well as in our body, okay? When, when, when we've got sin issues and we are walking in rebellion and, and, and not dealing with those and not pulling upon the grace of the Lord and saying, God, I, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I really need help. I mean, there's issues. We, we, we have issues that are going on in our mind and our emotions and our bodies. David said it really well in Psalm 38. This is after great sin in his life. And he said here in Psalm 38, 4, he says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I mean, can we know what I'm talking about, foolish sins? He says, I'm bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. David is, is making a connection. And, and Paul the Apostle says the same thing when you're getting ready for uh, communion. And, and he talks about, he says, some people have fallen asleep. Some people have died because of their sin. Okay, Some people have, literally have died because of their sin. They have hastened their death. David is saying that, that when we aren't taking care of the issues in our life, it affects us emotionally. It affects us physically. Here's another question. If you're, if you're suffering physically something is going on in your body here's another question that really needs to be asked and we really don't even consider it sometimes is there a sin issue that's going on in my heart that i haven't taken care of am i in conflict with god now i'm not talking about if we blow it and and we feel horrible for it god i'm so sorry lord help me god forgive me lord give me grace to turn away from this god knows that he sees that but I'm talking about unresolved, unrepented, and we just continue to go on in their way. It has effects. And we know this, that sin condemns. We talk about the love of God. And He is a God of love. One of my favorite series that I preached on since I've been here a pastor was last January. It was a, it was a series that was, I've told you a number of times, it was life-changing for me again. Just to come acquaint, become acquainted with the love of God that, uh, that Ephesians talks about there in Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, to discover and to know how high and wide and deep is the love of God. But I also want you to write this down. God is not only a God of love, but there's two sides to, to God. The, the God, not only a God of love, but also the God of justice. Okay. 
And because and, and it's very clear that God is also a God of justice. And that means that sin and evil will be dealt with. Okay. And God, okay, will balance out the books and he will mete out justice someday. We do we know this? Does God hate? Absolutely. We know that God hates some things. Just read Proverbs chapter six. Okay? But also he hates some things that are evil. And sometimes hatred is an evidence of love. I hate, I hate it when, when children are abused, when, when women are abused. When I hear about this, when I hear about kids as a pastor and when a woman is abused by a man, there's just something inside of me that all of a sudden I don't feel like a pastor at that moment. The, a, a man that is doing that to, to his child or to his wife and, and taking it out, their frustrations or whatever, there's something inside of me that wants to do something and it's not, it's not nice. I hate it. I hate this one. When, when prejudice against other races and skin colors. I hate it when whites are prejudiced against blacks. And I hate it when blacks are prejudiced against whites. It goes both ways. It's happening in our country. I hate it that women and children are sold into sex trafficking. Nothing breaks my heart more. I hate it especially when orphans who have no homes and want just a mom and a dad. You ought to hate too. Because if you don't hate, you don't love. It means that you're apathetic. It means that your heart is cold. Now, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather. If you mess with my wife or my kids or my two new grandkids, okay, if you mess with them in some way, I, I promise you on some level, some way, you're going to be dealing with me in some way. You mess with them, you mess with me. And, and there's some things when it, when it comes to God, when, when, you, when you mess with, with, with those who are helpless and, and those who are poor, whatever, he says, you mess with them, you're messing with me. You read the scriptures and that's what God basically says. So righteous anger is carried about the needs of others. But I want to take you to an important, important scripture where it says here in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages is something that you earn. A gift is something that is given. You and I have earned death, spiritual death. You, you and I, we should both be punished for our sin. And somebody's going to pay for, for the punishment for our sin. Someone has to pay. Justice says there, there's been a crime that has been committed and, and the person that has been found guilty of this, this crime has to be prosecuted and, and justice has to be meted out. And Jesus says, I will go ahead and I will serve justice. Your biggest problem in life, by the way, is not your finances, it's not your health, or it's your relationships. All those issues that you may be experiencing right now, they're real and they're legitimate, but they're not the biggest things that are going on in your life. Your biggest problem may be this, and it is with, it is with God and His ways. You're, you're at war with God's Word, you're at war with the cross, and when you are at war with God's word and his ways, it creates stress and all kinds of problems in your life. Number three, what does the cross teach us? This statement, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Here it is. Number three, salvation is costly. Salvation costs God a lot. It costs God His one and only Son, His beloved Son. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is free, but it's not. had to pay for your salvation, your penalty, and your dues, and His name was Jesus. Romans 3.25 says this, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. This is, this is what Jesus did. He says, I will give up my life. I will give up my body. I will give up my soul for you. There will be no one that will love you more than Jesus. Nobody's going to sacrifice more for you than Jesus. So the question is, when we see that Jesus is the substitute, okay, for our sin, the one who pays the penalty for our sin, the question is, it just begs a response. What should our response be to that, to that kind of love, to that kind of sacrifice? I want to hit just a couple of areas three of these, and I want to just take a few moments. Number one, I need, this doesn't apply to everybody, but I think there's a couple people here in this room. This point, first one, applies to you. I need to turn from my sin and trust Jesus to save me. By the way, there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. There's some, there some faces here I haven't seen you before. And you're new. I don't know your background. I don't know uh, your, your uh, church affiliations, uh, what you were raised in, uh, uh, what you were taught. But I just want to say to you uh, that Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. Now that may sound narrow, and it is, by the way, but it is the only way. And that statement right there is either true or false. Jesus is either the way, Okay, the truth of life, or he isn't. It's one or the other. And so Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to heaven except to repent, to turn from your sin, to ask for forgiveness, and to trust Jesus to save you. Not yourself, not your good deeds, not your religion, not your religious affiliation. Romans 3.22 says this, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I love that last statement. No matter who we are, no matter what our background is, no matter who our parents was, no matter what our affiliation was, no matter what we've done, whatever, Jesus says He is, he is our faith. Okay, So we are right with God when we trust in Jesus Christ. There was a barber in Dallas, Texas. He had a sign that said this, And God we trust, but all others pay cash. And this guy only accepted cash, no debit cards, no checks, cash only. And the death of Jesus Christ is the only payment that God accepts. 
God says if you're looking to anything else, if you're looking even to yourself in even all of your good deeds, it's not enough. It will not be enough to pay the penalty for your sin against him. You have to trust in Jesus Christ, the perfect one. Number two, what should be my response first of all? I turn from my sin and I trust Jesus. I put my faith totally in here. Number two, I live in a state of gratitude and worship. I live in a state of gratitude and worship. I ask this question, how could you not be thankful for someone who loves you so much? Romans 5.11 says this, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. The Bible talks about B.C., before Christ, that we were enemies of God. But because of His atoning sacrifice on the cross, He made us friends with God. And, and, and the response that that should evoke should be thanks and worship. And not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday when we really don't feel like getting up to go to work. We, the, one of the first things that should be happening when we wake up and oh Lord, I thank you so much that I've woken up to mercy. The Bible talks about every day that we wake up, we wake up to new mercies. There's so much to be thankful and grateful for, especially for what Jesus did on the cross. There was a story about a man, a husband and a wife. They were there uh, in Kansas and they were caught in a hailstorm. And was unable to find shelter. And, and the hail that was coming down was not golf ball size. It was the size of baseballs. And it, it started out small, but it got bigger and bigger. And, it, and, and, the, and the husband, as a provider and as a protector, he, he, he had his wife laid there on the ground. And, and he covered her as best as he could. And, and, and it just, it was unrelenting. It lasted for about almost five to ten minutes. And, and, these, and these balls were just hitting him all over his body. And it began to hit him in the head and in the back of the neck, his face, all over this place. And he began to bleed out of his ears. And finally, he, he, he was exhausted from the pain and he just collapsed on his wife. And uh, he was barely able to survive. And, and it, he made it. He had to go to the emergency room. He was there in the hospital for a while. And this was a true story. And, and a news reporter asked this wife, okay, and she was okay. She made it out okay. Uh, he protected her. And she was asked this question by a local newscast. And, and it was asked, he said, what, what, did you, what did you feel like during this experience? How do you feel about this experience? And she said this quote, every time I look at those scars, by the way, he had scars all over his body, over his head. He says, every time I look at the scars on his head, neck, and ear, I love him more because he sacrificed himself for me. One of the reasons why we purposely have the Calvary Cross in front of you every Sunday morning. That's front and center. We lift up the name of Jesus. We lift up what he did for us on the cross. We see that that should cause us many times that when I'm in worship, some of you have your eyes closed. I have my eyes opened and I'm seeing my Jesus there on the cross taking the pounding, okay, from God, God's wrath being meted out on his son for our sins. And, and it causes me, it, I don't know about you, but the cross will never become old to me. 
The cross that Jesus Christ died for me, it will never become old. It causes me to, to thank God for 35 years, and I pray to the day that I die, my, I, my arms and my hands will be lifted high every time I see the cross. It will be a point of thanks and gratitude and worship. And number three, what should be my response? Not only to turn from sin and to trust Jesus and to live in a state of gratitude and worship, but I need to tell others about this thing called the good news. The good news, the great exchange where, where uh, all of my sins that has been, been poured into Jesus and all of his goodness has been poured into me. This is the best news. If somebody died for you, think about this. If somebody died for you and then left you an inheritance, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you? I would. And as a church, okay, as a church, one of the things that we exist as is to reach out to people who do not know Jesus Christ. Why do we reach out to people? Because Jesus loves people. And love leads, leads no choice. And the church, believe me when I say this, the church that doesn't reach out, out to people who do not know Jesus Christ and, and do not reach out and grow is saying to the world, we don't care if you go to hell. We want things to remain the same. We're not willing to adapt. We're not willing to change. We're not willing to accommodate people to come in here so that they can understand and feel welcome. And there's been many churches that begin to nosedive, that begin to die because they don't care about the people outside of there. We must care because God cares. I have a question for you. I don't know if you've been thinking about this. Who are you going to bring to... We're going to bring it to the Easter resurrection service two weeks from today. By the way, maybe when's the last time you brought someone to church, invited someone to church? You see, statistics show this. If you bring an unsafe, okay, a person who does not know Jesus Christ, okay, during this time of the year, this is when, when people are beginning to think about God, thinking about Jesus Christ, okay, it's a great chance that they will open up to Jesus. And so I would say this, this coming two weeks from this today, I want to encourage you. I want you to think outside of your, your box. Some of you, you it, it hasn't even been on the radar of inviting someone to church. You haven't done that in a long time. I want to encourage you, okay, to not come alone on Easter. I, I want to believe that it's going to be the greatest service that we've ever had in terms of people coming and people coming to get saved and give their life to Jesus. Don't come alone, okay? And don't come without inviting someone. Folks, that would be unselfish. When we know the cure... Okay, when we know the cure to their pain, to their soul and to their need and to their relationship with God and we don't do anything about it, it's it's selfish. I would here's what I want to encourage you to do. This is going to be our ending here this morning in your bulletin. Please open it. I know it's some of you it's closed, but I want you to open it. And there's a little square piece of paper. <clears throat> this is the practical thing. Say, so what do I do with all this information? Well, this is going to be the one takeaway. One of the, there's a number of takeaways from this word here this morning. But what should I do with what God has given to me? God's given you and I an opportunity. There's people that we know, coworkers, family members, neighbors that need Jesus. You know them. 
they know you. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to write down the people that, that you think about, that you run, uh, run into and you maybe talk to. I want you to write down their name. These are people who do not know Christ. And what I want you to do is, is to write down these names and then I want you to go ahead and begin to pray for them. Okay? And then by next week, by next week sometime at the very latest, I want to encourage you to invite them. Okay? I, 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 trust me when I say this, they're in spiritual darkness, but if you will go ahead and take some time and ask the Holy Spirit to pray through you, to pray for these people that you know that God has, God has put you into their lives, they're in your lives, and you're in their life. God has put you across their pathway. I would encourage you to pray for them, and then I want to encourage you to invite those, okay? And then with those slip of paper, okay, here's what I want you to do. We're going to pass these out next week again because there were people that, were, that are not here today that we're going to go ahead and give the same opportunity. And then six hours, one Friday night, we're going to go ahead, we're going to put these, these names on, on a bulletin board that's going to be here, and we're going to cry out to God for them, and we're going to believe that God is going to touch their souls, and we're going to pray that they would come to church. And if they don't come here, that they'll go to some life-giving church to where they'll hear the gospel and come to Jesus Christ. So here's the takeaway. To those who have, it's been a long time since you said, hey, would you like to come to church? You maybe used to do that when you first got saved, but it's been a long time. I want to encourage you. God, who could I go ahead? Is there someone in my neighborhood? Is there someone at work, God, that I can go ahead and reach out to? I want to tell you something. It's a way to respond to his love for us. Those words on the cross, my God, my God, the substitute who took your place. Why have you forsaken me? What's our response? Turning from sin. Gratitude and telling others. That makes him happy. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. To the person that is struggling right now, in a place of, of sin and in a place of bondage and you're wondering, does God like me? Does God still love me? And I just please want to let you know, God, God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. He still loves you. But He's calling you, please don't, t- don't treat sin lightly says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's called you and I to be ruthless with that. He's called you and I to to call upon Him for grace uh, to help us change so that those those sins, those strongholds will no longer have control over our lives. And, and so I would encourage you right now, if that is you here in this room, we're going we're gonna to pray in just a moment. I, I, and I want to just invite here as we get done with the service, if there's anyone that would like to receive prayer and say, Pastor, you know what? I found my heart growing cold and, and, and I, I found myself in a place where I'm compromising and and I'm giving in to sin. And, and I know it's had an effect in my relationship with God. I, I found myself, I'm lukewarm. And, and, and I know it's affecting my life and my relationship with God. 
I feel distance right there. And, and I want to become connected to my father. I want to become close to him. I don't want to be a compromiser. I don't want to just tolerate sin. I want to ask for God's grace to help me lift me out of this situation here. I want to be able to pray with you after this service. But if you're here today and that is you, would you just, you're here and you say, God, I need your grace. Would you right now, the Bible says, confess your sin to Jesus Christ. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. You find yourself in a place, you know, where all of a sudden you've just kind of, the cross has become something to you. It's just a symbol. It, it, it's not it's not a place where you see it as a place of love, as something to, to restore a relationship between you and God. And, and, and your worship and your gratitude is something that's begun to stop and really just come to a halt or it's become much less than what it used to be. I want to encourage you to look at the cross again, to see Jesus there at that place, dying in your place as the ultimate substitute. Come to Jesus, back to Him again here this morning and give Him praise and thanks. And for those of you who are here this morning, it's been a long time. I pray that love would compel you to go to the lost, to go to those who don't know Jesus and tell them how much God loves them and God wants to touch their lives. So Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name for our hearts, Lord, if there's any heart hearts here, Lord God, here this morning. Any hardness in our in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would, would soften us, we ask in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would forgive us, Lord, if we've taken the cross and we've, God, just made it a, a place of a symbol, Lord. I, I pray, God, there would be, we would be overflowing, Lord, with gratitude and worship, Lord, even kneeling, Lord, before you because of what you've done for us. And I'm praying, God, that you would use us these next two weeks as your ambassador, as your sons and daughters, Lord, to go to those that you died for. I pray that you would use us. God, as we, we lift them up, we pray for these souls, Lord. We pray, God, that they would come to know you. God, they would come to serve you, come to experience you. And we pray, God, that you would use us, Lord. We, God, thank you, Lord, so much. Come on, let's just lift our hands to the one that gave his life for us here this morning. Say with me, thank you, Jesus for being my substitute. I love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, I would love to go ahead and pray with you here this morning.